Today, on the Ward Preacher Podcast, the old patriarchs, the original apostasy, and a new dispensation. I'm Brett Jensen, and this is the Ward Preacher Podcast. Our Come Follow Me curriculum for this coming week will cover Genesis 5 and Moses 6. Um, We're going to talk a a little bit about Genesis. Um, Genesis 5 gives us a line of individuals who connect Adam to Noah. This is a a line of fathers and sons that that tie Adam uh, in a direct line to Noah. And we get Adam, Seth, Enos, Canaan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. Now, these individuals, a, a lot of this stuff in early Genesis, some people look at and say, oh, well, you know, that can't be real. It says that they lived hundreds of years. Um, so maybe this is symbolic for something. Any of this stuff at the beginning of Genesis, it, it's not real. And I heartily disagree with that. Um, There are traditions uh, beyond just the Bible that describe people in ancient times living abnormally long periods of time. In fact, it makes the Bible look like, you know, it's being very conservative with the estimates that it says. Uh, For example, there's a list of Sumerian kings an archaeological artifact that describes the reign of various kings and that uses units called SARS, which each are 3,600 years. And so in these kings, the antediluvian kings, the kings before the flood, um, they have reigns as kings that lasted units like eight SARS, 10 SARS, 12 SARS, the longest, 8 SARS, and then the last two are both a little more than 5 SARS, multiples of 3,600 years. That's incredibly long. Then after the flood, the kings in the list, they still have long reigns, um, but it's listed as being 1,200 years. 960 years, 670 years. It's a dramatic change from before and after. Now, of course, there's very little that we actually know about the time before the flood. But there's reason to believe that maybe conditions then are not identical to conditions now. Just because individuals are listed as living a long time does not mean that that account should be dismissed or that it's just a myth. There are many things that have been lost over time, and it's kind of arrogant for us to assume that our present ability to piece things back together gives a largely accurate depiction of the way things are. Our view of the present isn't even very good, and it conflicts one with another. 
going back thousands and thousands of years, it's very difficult to say exactly what happened. There's no reason that we should be really doubtful of an account that we have in the scriptures that we know is translated well because of what we see in the Pearl of Great Price that talks about things that might not mesh with life as we now know it. God is a lot more powerful and his dealings with man are a lot more, uh, there's a lot more to them than what we know and understand at the moment. Now, there are some things that we do know are consistent between these times, and that's really the emphasis. It's not necessarily highlighting the differences in lifespan, but it's how it applies to us. Now, the old patriarchs knew the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they kept records. They kept, they had scriptures that they recorded in an ancient language. This is really vital. The, the idea, the tradition of writing prophecy and having that tied to the gospel, this is fundamental. This should be a part of our worship today. Additionally, priesthood was tied to this patriarchal uh, order. It wasn't given to everyone. It was kept in a family organization in which a father presides in love and righteousness and accounts to God for his efforts in guiding his family to divine truth and goodness. Now, there are other necessary elements of church organization uh, in the fullness of times. But the family-oriented model is the oldest. And even now, it's not obsolete. Uh, God has revealed, for example, through his current prophet, President Russell M. Nelson, the need for home-centered and church-supported learning and instruction. Because the people we invest the most in are our family. Of course, we should be helpful to people in our ward, but it's not the same as when your child needs something from you. Um, and in fact, it's a tragedy when any man or woman prioritizes the relationships for which they are paid over the relationships that were forged in love, in pain, and in the sacrifices made in family living. All right. Let's talk about the original apostasy, because we didn't spend a lot of time last week talking about Cain. Uh, we talked more about Adam and Eve. And it's worth noting Adam and Eve had other sons and daughters before Cain and Abel. And they seemed really uninterested in the idea of religion or the need for redemption, as far as we know. After the good news of the gospel of redemption had been made known to Adam... Uh, Adam and Eve had two more sons, Cain and Abel. Abel did as he was taught. He offered an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord, but Cain did not. Now, it's not just that he, you know, wanted to do the right thing, but didn't. He was already making deals with Satan. 
Now, Cain established the first secret combinations, conspiring to murder and steal in secret. Um, and he thought he could keep it a secret even from God. But of course, God knew what was going on and warned Cain about it. Of course, Cain was, he didn't listen to the Lord. He loved Satan more than he loved God. And Cain's secret society of murder, that wasn't just him and, like, his children involved in this. Um, it caused wars and bloodshed, as described in the Pearl of Great Price, in the days of Seth and Enos, his son. These secret combinations spread and became a huge problem to this ancient society. Now, though Adam tried to speak to his children as the Lord commanded him, they would not hear him. They loved Satan more than they loved God. And even though Adam was still alive, the world had fallen into apostasy. So, of course, it became necessary to have a new dispensation. And the Lord spoke to Enoch. Uh, let's read some of these passages in the Pearl of Great Price. This is 27 through 30 in Moses 6. And he heard a voice from heaven saying, Enoch, my son, prophesy unto this people and say unto them, Repent. For thus saith the Lord, I am angry with this people, and my fierce anger is kindled against them. For their hearts have waxed hard, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes cannot see afar off. And for these many generations, ever since the day that I have created them, have they gone astray and have denied me, and have sought their own counsels in the dark, and in their own abominations have they devised murder, and have not kept the commandments which I gave unto their father Adam. Wherefore they have forsworn themselves, and by their oaths they have brought upon themselves death, and a hell I have prepared for them if they repent not. And this is a decree which I have sent forth in the beginning of the world from my own mouth, from the foundation thereof. And by the mouths of my servants, thy fathers, have I decreed it, even as it shall be sent forth in the world unto the ends thereof. So he receives this commission from the Lord to go and cry repentance to the children of men who God wants to bring back, to redeem. Enoch did not feel up to this assignment. The very next verse reads, And when Enoch had heard these words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord and spake before the Lord, saying, Why is it that I have found favor in thy sight and am but a lad? And all the people hate me, for I am slow of speech. Wherefore am I thy servant? Now, it's interesting to note that he calls himself a lad. He's at least 65 years old at this time. Uh, he was 65 when Methuselah was born. And uh, this is mentioned after that. So we think he could have even been older than that. And he thinks, oh, I'm just a little kid, you know, 65 year old. Uh, the other thing that's kind of interesting, this is Moses that's recording this account. Um, undoubtedly, Moses related to Enoch. He himself felt slow of speech and inadequate to the task that God had given him. 
But of course, as with Moses, God was really uninterested in the reasons that he had for not doing what he said. And that's true for many of us who seek to dismiss the word of the Lord for many reasons. Most of those reasons that we have, you know, oh, well, I would do this, that God says, but I've got this special circumstance. I would keep the Sabbath day holy, but I have this other thing. I would do this, but, you know, this is, I have to deal with real life. Um, it's amazing how most of those reasons are equally unimportant. You know, it seems like it's a legitimate thing to say, well, how am I going to convince people? Everyone hates me. I'm inexperienced. I'm not good at speaking. I don't feel like that's a recipe for being convincing. It seems like a legitimate set of reasons. But it's possible that you aren't an exception to the rule but it's smarter to assume that you're not. And particularly if the Lord speaks to you, you should try and do what he asks instead of coming up with reasons why you can't. Of course, there are exceptions. We talked about that that's possible. But it's smarter to assume that with God, nothing is impossible. All right. Enoch was commanded, after he accepts this assignment, he's commanded to anoint his eyes with clay and then wash them. And after obeying this counsel, he sees things that are not naturally visible. And the saying goes forth that God has raised up a seer. Uh, this was a sign to other people. His ability to see was a sign that this was not a normal person. And it caused... It was one of those things that made his excuse for why he couldn't do something kind of unimportant. Uh, his approach to the gospel was to follow the counsel of the Lord, to speak in pure and plain terms exactly what God wanted him to say. Let's read that. Uh, this is verses 37 through 39. And it came to pass that Enoch went forth in the land among the people, standing upon the hills and the high places, and cried with a loud voice, testifying against their works. And all men were offended because of him. And they came forth to hear him upon the high places, saying unto the tent keepers, Tarry ye here and keep the tents, while we go yonder to behold the seer. For he prophesieth, and there is a strange thing in the land. A wild man hath come among us. And it came to pass, when they heard him, no man laid hands on him, for fear came on all them that heard him, for he walked with God. All right, fascinating account here. Uh, the role of God's servants is not to primarily avoid offending people. All men were offended because of what he had to say, but I don't know, maybe like a person who can't help but look at a, a car crash, they just couldn't help but go and see this strange thing in the land, the wild man that had come among them. Um, now, it's, it, it is important. Some of this that's applicable, I think, is in modern times, when prophets and apostles speak truth, 
arguably with much more kindness than their Old Testament counterparts, they're often accused of being unkind or the one that gets me unchristlike. I mean, from people who do not read enough of the New Testament to know what what Jesus said to people. Of course, if the message comes from Christ, worry about how offensive it is later. Deal with that some other time. Follow it first. That's a, that's a really helpful thing. You can be offended later. Follow it first. Enoch testified the truths about Adam, about his relationship with God, about the need that all human beings had for redemption. He testified of Satan, that he was actively deceiving. He testified of the deliverance of Jesus Christ, that the Son of God would make everything right. Now, this pattern of dispensation, this is similar in every new dispensation. God commands a prophet to rise and testify of ancient truths from which men have apostatized to some degree or another. Now, this was true for Enoch, for Noah, for Abraham, Moses, and of course, for the apostles of Jesus Christ. It's also true of the prophet Joseph Smith, testifying of ancient truths from which men have apostatized. Now, this is important periodically to redispense the gospel because the force of apostasy is relentless. Ever since these days, men have become carnal, sensual, and devilish. They have a tendency to lose track of where they are. And if they're not very, very careful about holding to the iron rod and staying on that straight and narrow path, they'll end up somewhere else. And so God needs to call people's attention to come back. Now, it's vital for us that we are holding to the rod of iron, that we are renewing our commitment to original truths from undefiled sources. In the end, God will occasionally redispense his gospel and restore lost truths to bring his children back to him. People naturally tend to fall off that course and they tend to take lightly the counsel of God and his prophets as they apostatize. Take heed that we are careful with messages that come from his prophets. Because if we heed the words of his prophets, we can reconnect to that unbroken line that leads back to God. We appreciate all the support for the Word Preacher podcast. Uh, next week, we will look at Moses chapter 7, discussing Enoch's Zion. Of course, there's a ton of stuff that we did not discuss in the reading that for this week. Please study that individually and with your family. And of course, as always, fight on.